This is Epicenter, episode 169 with guest Jay Kwan. This episode of Epicenter is brought to you by the Merkle Week, a blockchain conference, training seminar, and hackathon taking place in Paris from March 9th to 12th. Learn from leading experts and get certified on building blockchain applications designed to enhance organizational governance. Get your tickets at MerkleWeek.com and use the promo code EPICENTER to get 30% off early bird tickets. And by Jax. Jax is the user-friendly wallet that works across all your devices and handles both Bitcoin and Ether. Go to jax.io and embrace the future of cryptocurrency wallets. Hi, welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global blockchain revolution. My name is Sebastian Couture. And I'm Meher Roy. So, when I went to DevCon last year, uh, what I realized is that the Internet of Blockchains is going to be one of the big theme, themes for this year. There are multiple projects that are trying to build systems in which multiple blockchains could somehow coordinate with each other and transfer money or programming logic, etc. One of the projects in this field that is about to do a crowd sale is uh, is called Cosmos. Cosmos, the Cosmos project comes out of uh, or the t- same team that got a tendermint. So today we are joined by Jay Kwan, who is the co-founder of Cosmos to discuss the Internet of Blockchains and their specific approach to it. Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. So Jay, you have been on the show uh, before and um, I think a lot of of our listeners know you, but perhaps it would be nice for us to know your journey into the blockchain space and what you've been up to the past few years. Sure. Um, So I guess to summarize the past three years. Um, I got really excited about Bitcoin in 2012, 13, and I wanted to find a better way um, to, to have consensus without the proof of work component. And so I discovered BFT algorithms, Byzantine fault tolerant algorithms uh, that was uh, developed in academia. And uh, I um, uh, iterated upon it to create a Tendermint consensus algorithm. And uh, we created this open source project called Tendermint so that anyone can create their own blockchain easily uh, without having to worry about like peer-to-peer networking or consensus or uh, transaction broadcasting. So we solve all of that for you so anyone can create their own blockchain or cryptocurrency easily. Um, and with that, uh, we're creating uh, Cosmos, which is uh, the internet of blockchains. So Tendermint has been around for for a few years now, uh, it has definitely gained traction and reputation as um, I say one of the you know one of the leading uh, permission blockchain systems uh, that is often referred to you know when you talk to enterprise uh, clients. It was also it's also a major component of the Aris stack. Um, tell us, you know, since since you started Tendermint and since the last time we spoke. Uh, what have you what have you seen in terms of applications being used on Tendermint? Where, where, what does that last uh, year and a half, I think, uh, look like? 
Well, we haven't even released um, like a production version of Tender Mint yet, so it's still early in the beginning. Um, and we haven't seen any uh, proof of stake blockchains uh, launch on Tendermint yet. So Cosmos uh, should be the first uh, live proof of stake network. And the purpose, you know, uh, one of the main reasons to get Cosmos running soon is so that we can prove and vet Tendermint. But that said, there has been a lot of um, uh, support uh, and usage of Tendermint in the enterprise blockchain space. So you mentioned errors. Um, and when ErasDB was based on Tendermint, uh, they had uh, a proof of concept uh, uh, with, with Swift creating a system there. Uh, it was looked at uh, internally by R3, uh, and we've got many uh, new startups, blockchain startups, building on Tendermint today. The applications are varied. So we've got um, uh, like uh, energy companies with uh, energy credits building on Tendermint. Uh, we've got uh, companies building uh, logging systems, so uh, proof of existence of, of, of documents. Um, and uh, we've, we've built out some proof of concept as well. So people were looking for like an Ethereum blockchain that didn't require Ethereum's proof of work. So we created uh, Ethermint, which is a combination of Tendermint and Go Ethereum. Uh, so you can launch your uh, Ethereum testnet or, or, or private net um, without having to deal with the proof of work part. And uh, people are building on that too. Yeah, I mean that that that, that speaks to me. Is uh, Stratum is is uh, also uh, building things on Tendermint. Uh, in fact, uh, we're we're working on some technologies that are uh, utilizing the the Tendermint uh, BFT proof of stake uh, algorithm, and it's it's been really well received by our clients and then the, the projects that we're working on. So uh, yeah, thank you for building such a a great platform. Awesome, glad to hear it. So, so now you're using like the Tendermint consensus algorithm to build a new kind of network, right? And most of our show is going to be concerned with, with the new features of this network, which is called Cosmos. But once you start building Cosmos, what, what happens to Tendermint? Do you keep um, supporting the enterprise customers that are, that are building on, on just pure Tendermint? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the reason why we split off Tendermint into this like standalone component, um, and it, what it does, it's uh, the problem that it solves. It's it's very well defined and narrow in scope. It solves peer-to-peer -peer networking, consensus, and transaction broadcasting. Uh, it has RPC endpoints, so you can program with it. It provides the blockchain structure. But you know the way it's designed, you're supposed to provide your own state machine or your application logic so that um, the transactions have meaning. Um, and we've designed Tendermint so that it is it can be a common component uh, infrastructure layer for for all blockchains, and we need it for Cosmos. So uh, certainly we'll be uh, continuing to uh, maintain it and develop it further uh, and make it more uh, even more secure uh, as time goes by. Yeah, and Tendermint is is here to stay. All right, so then let's let's launch into to to Cosmos. I mean, those who are interested in learning more about Tendermint, obviously you can you know, uh, go to Tendermint's website, or you can listen to episode one thirteen of Epicenter, which actually we did a year ago in January, early January of twenty sixteen, uh, where we uh, we interviewed Jay. Uh, I think Ethan was on, and also Dustin Byington. Uh, Dustin, yeah, Dustin Byington. Uh, so do, do do check that out uh, if you're you know coming into Tendermint and not really sure about uh, what it is. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about Cosmos then. So 
explain to us in your words what is Cosmos and what what problem it's trying to solve fundamentally. So Cosmos is um, it's a network. It's an internet uh, of blockchains. So uh, okay. So what's a blockchain network? Um, today we've got many blockchains, public and private. Um, and they're not really talking to each other. Uh, there are ways to um, like get tokens from one chain to another using like a centralized exchange, or uh, there are advanced protocols for even cross-chain exchanges, but uh, nothing quite on the order of like TCP/IP or, or uh, two computers like my laptop speaking to a server using the internet. Like this hasn't happened yet, and the reason why. It's because of the limitations of the, the consensus approaches and whatnot. So with Tendermint, uh, we figured out a way to have blockchains communicate. And we discovered that uh, some of the major pain points of cryptocurrencies and public blockchains today, uh, namely interoperability, scalability, and speed, um, uh, can be uh, all of them simultaneously addressed with uh, a better architecture for blockchain uh, communication. So Cosmos is a network of blockchains, and uh, it's meant to uh, bridge many independent sovereign blockchains together. Uh, it's meant to connect to Ethereum and Bitcoin. These are two public blockchains that will be connected to uh, the Cosmos system. And we'll also make it very easy to develop uh, new proof of stake uh, public chains, but also uh, private and consortium chains to connect to the Cosmos network so that uh, tokens, uh, coins, can be uh, transferred from one blockchain to another seamlessly. So uh, it seems that in this space, there's um, now starting to be a lot of different visions about internet of chains, right? Like, so I think I remember in 2014, uh, the side chains project with Bitcoin was probably one of the first projects that I could see headed towards the vision of an internet of chains. But assuming that all of these chains would basically handle one asset, that is Bitcoin. And now um, now you have Cosmos and then there are other projects as well, like um, I think Polkadot is one of, one of the ones we interviewed. So during the call, it might be um, very interesting to go through, like what is the difference in your approach Right, and what is the speciality of uh, of your approach? But before we get to that, uh, perhaps you could start with a simple question: that why did you name this thing Cosmos? So I I like simple names, um, and I struggled to find a name for this one for a long time, and uh, and it just kind of came out of the blue. Cosmos means when you look up the definition, it means the universe as seen. Uh, you know, the universe seen as a well-ordered whole. And uh, that seemed to fit well with what like blockchains are about. Uh, you can think of blockchains as being a tool for uh, committing transactions and defining the order of them in, in such a way that it's secure and immutable. So if you think of the internet of blockchains, um, it's uh, full of these blockchain, you know, uh, galaxies or whatever, all committing uh, transactions in order. And so, you know, the whole universe of these blockchains seems like it should be called Cosmos. Okay, that's that's a nice analogy. So, so describe to us what the Cosmos network is. How does it work? So um, it's it's many things. Uh, it, 
particularly many blockchains. Uh, and you know, there's also protocols for blockchain communication. So I'll try to dive into all of those. Um, the first blockchain that's going to be launched in the Cosmos system is called uh, the Hub. Um, so we call it the Cosmos Hub. We haven't really decided on a name for it yet. So we'll just call it the Cosmos Hub for now. Um, and it is uh, a simple proof-of-stake blockchain with one purpose. Um, and the purpose is to be a light client for many other blockchains. So whether it be uh, a, you know, a, a different sovereign chain uh, that's based on tenement proof-of-stake, or whether it be uh, like a, an adapter bridge blockchain to connect to things like Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, or even blockchains that the, the Cosmos uh, hub Mm, validators decide to launch as auxiliary services for Cosmos. Um, they will all be connected uh, to the Cosmos Hub. The Cosmos Hub will be a light client for all of them, and all of those blockchains will be uh, tracking uh, and be a light client of the Cosmos Hub as well. So we've got this mm, this kind of clearinghouse or custodian uh, uh, at the center uh, called the Cosmos Hub. Uh, it's at the center. By the way, but it doesn't mean it's centralized uh, necessarily. It's a decentralized uh, custodian because it's a blockchain with many uh, independent actors uh, working together to, to come to consensus about its state. Um, so that's the first component that we're going to launch. Then uh, we're going to build um, bridges uh, to Ethereum and Bitcoin. Those two being the primary public blockchains, it's, I think, important to bridge them. Um, and we will bridge them by creating adapter zones or bridge zones uh, that sit in between the Cosmos Hub and, say, Ethereum and the Cosmos Hub and, say, Bitcoin. Uh, and once we have that, we're also going to build uh, another zone or blockchain called the Cosmos DEX, D-E-X, uh, meaning distributed exchange. So that will be its own blockchain run by the same validators as the Cosmos Hub. And uh, its purpose is to function as a, a distributed exchange so that uh, any token in the Cosmos network can be uh, exchanged for one another. Um, so that's it. Starting with the hub, a multi-asset token, uh, a proof-of-stake chain, building bridges out, uh, the Cosmos DEX, and making it easy for new proof-of-stake chains to connect to the Cosmos ecosystem. One, one thing that's really telling in, in the way that you present Cosmos, you present it as a solution that, uh, that is scalable, um, that is uh, interoperable, and that is, that is fast, right? That addresses this issue of speed. And there's, it's kind of funny to me when I, when, I, when I saw this little video on your website and you, you present these issues, uh, it says that uh, you know, Cosmos addresses the, addresses the issue of blockchains existing in silos. And it's it's so telling that even in the world of blockchains, these infrastructures are, in, are existing in silos when blockchains, from my perspective and the way that I, I sort of sell them to people when just this afternoon, right? It's like, what are blockchains trying to address? They're trying to address the issue of siloed databases. And already we're seeing that the, uh, blockchains themselves are siloed. It, it's, uh, it's incredible that we now have to create, you know, unsiloed blockchains by building overlay networks and that this wasn't you know, one of the things that that this wasn't addressed uh, when constructing blockchain architectures. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a lot of people think that because blockchains are decentralized and you know, it's got many machines connected to it all working together in unison, that like, you know, um, 
obviously that's it, right? Like you only need one blockchain and they're all going to be connected together and, 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 and committing, you know, running transactions and so on. But, um, but in reality, uh, the problem with uh, a single blockchain is that they're all going to be doing the same thing. They're going to be running the same replicated you know, logic. And so, you know, it's not uh, one blockchain is not sufficient for uh, scaling out to the you know, transaction throughput that we're looking for, like Visa scale transactions. Um, for that, you're going to need many parallel blockchains. Of course, you can use the Lightning Network. Um, that's fantastic. But if you want to expand into other systems, uh, other use cases like uh, uh, secondary securities, for example, then uh, and, and you want to support the trade throughput that existing markets have in the primary securities market, you're going to need uh, multiple parallel blockchains. Yeah, a blockchain. You're right. It does function as a as a as a as a as a, uh, a conduit for multiple independent actors who don't trust each other to share a database. But that's it's just one database. We still need to uh, connect them together. Let's take a short break to talk about the Merkle Week, a blockchain training seminar, conference, and hackathon taking place here in Paris from March 9th to 12th. The Merkle Week is organized by Eureka Certification, and it's an event that is designed to help entrepreneurs, developers, and decision makers gain practical experience using blockchain technologies to build distributed governance in their organizations. So it's a four-day event, and it's broken up into two parts. First, March 9th, there's a full-day training seminar featuring an impressive list of speakers, including Gavin Wood, William Mugayar, and Peter Todd. You can get the full list of speakers over at MerkleWeek.com. And as an attendee, you'll get to participate in training courses and demonstrations for Bitcoin and Ethereum. And these are designed to help you build and test blockchain applications meant to enhance uh, operational efficiency in your businesses and organizations. Then, over the weekend, from March 10th to 12th, you can put all that knowledge to practical use by participating in the hackathon. And here you're gonna get to work with other developers, designers, and entrepreneurs, and you're gonna come together, and you're going to work on real live Bitcoin and Ethereum applications under the close mentorship of those leading experts. And by the way, there's a 10,000 euro prize for the top three teams in the hackathon. So come join us, come spend the weekend here in Paris for the Merkle Week from March 9th to 12th. And remember, all you listeners in the UK, that's only a two-hour trip on the Eurostar, so don't miss out. So get your tickets over at MerkleWeek.com and be sure to use the promo code EPICENTER at the top of the checkout page uh, for 30% off your early bird tickets. And that offer is valid until March 3rd. So we'd like to thank the Merkle Week and Eureka Certification for their support of EPICENTER. What, what, what do you think, Jay? Like, can, can there be multiple networks that interoperate with each other? Or is this like a, a one-winner type, type game? I don't think it's a one-winner type game at all. Um, I think of the internet of blockchains as being this, this concept, uh, just like the internet, um, where no single um, sovereignty, no single blockchain can own. So like we can say, and we say that Cosmos is the internet of blockchains because we're promoting Cosmos and we are looking at the infrastructure and the connectivity from the eyes of you know, the Cosmos. But all the, even all the blockchains that are connecting to the Cosmos hub, they can connect with other systems too. So we see, I see a network of um, these protocols. There will be a protocol war. It's gonna happen all over again. And we're just, 
you know, early to act, but it's going to have to play out um, and, you know, let the best protocol win. So, uh, and, and well, that's just the protocol. Uh, so when it comes to like inter-blockchain communication, you know, we're proposing this one protocol called IBC for uh, packet transmission. But uh, there are other protocols too, uh, like Interledger, to communicate uh, between two disparate, um, uh, two you know disjoint uh, ledgers, and it works well, especially with connecting to like uh, you know they've designed it so that it works well with connecting to uh, the banking system, right? So there's still a need for many kinds of protocols. Right. So, but in the end, sure, one protocol will shake out. But I don't think that's really uh, what we're uh, where the drama will unfold. I feel like maybe uh, another thing, another aspect to this, uh, uh, this you know, another aspect is uh, these sovereign blockchains, these uh, staking distributions. Right. So the uh, the Cosmos system is going to have stakeholders who hold atom tokens. Um, Polkadot will have um, dot holders, um, and they're, they're going to be a different distribution. So, you know, what does that look like? Is one going to win? I don't think so. I think just like the internet has uh, many uh, popular websites that serve different functions, like Google is a search engine, Facebook is a social network, Twitter is a, a message bus, um, different networks are gonna come uh, to uh, uh, define their own niche and solve a particular problem, and they will all be connected together. That's how I see it playing out. And so for us, the Cosmos Hub is solving a very particular uh, problem of token coin interoperability. Um, Polkadot is solving the problem of like smart contract scaling. So like when you've got multiple uh, smart contract systems and you've defined this uh, virtual machine where you, is a, a smart contract can call another contract and, and do things with it and get a value returned back, like that's more general than tokens and it's a different kind of problem, uh, arguably a, a more difficult problem. And that's what Polkadot is trying to solve. Um, and the solution that they're gonna come up with it's going to look different. Um, it, the, their, their concerns are going to be different. And I hope, though, that in the end, we both create, uh, all of us, we create uh, uh, solutions that can interoper interoperate and leverage the strengths of each of the respective systems. Uh, I think that will be the Internet of Blockchains. So, for instance, um, just trying to understand the difference between difference in approach between, say, Cosmos and Polkadot, um, with Cosmos, what you're trying to do is, uh, let's say, let's say me and my, my friends, we run one blockchain, Sebastian and his friends run another blockchain somewhere else. And then Jay and his co-validators are running the hub, right? So in, 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 in the, in the Cosmos network, uh, some token, some asset could flow from our blockchain, the blockchain me, I am running, let's say with my friends to uh, to Sebastian's blockchain and the Cosmos Hub UJ basically allow us to manage this um, token transfer, right? But on the other side, the sense I get is uh, with Polkadot, the, the difference that they are trying to do is there is some smart contract running on one chain and some other smart contract running on Sebastian's chain and now these two smart contracts have to send messages to each other, trigger computations in the other smart contract, and then send replies back. 
so mm-hmm. this is somehow like a harder problem in 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 your case you're tackling the simpler problem which is just transferability of financial assets across chains and there they are trying to solve the transferability of computational results across chains is is that right yeah um i think that's one way to look at it i think that's a valid point um now like in the future um i think we would like to you know when there is uh when it makes sense to we may expand to you know solve uh, all kinds of different interoperability problems but like we're not trying to create a better uh, uh, EVM. We're not trying to uh, solve the problem of uh, like smart tr- contracts uh, calling other smart contracts across different zones. Um, we're focused on tokens because I think and given the narrow scope of that problem, it's got the biggest, um, it'll bring the biggest reward to the entire community uh, that uh, and you know I like simple problems that that can be solved that that can be limited in scope with the biggest impact. Um, I think it makes for uh, faster iterations. Uh, I think um, you know a feature creep is not going to be an issue as long as we like f- focus on a core mission. And um, you know like think about the every every person that I know who holds cryptocurrency tokens has been affected or nearly been affected by like a like an exchange hack, right? And these things are bound to happen again because um, it's hard to secure a central server. And that's what blockchains kind of solve. Blockchains uh, make it so that even if one actor or a few actors in, a, in the network get hacked, uh, as long as uh, the majority uh, are, are not affected, the system will continue to function just fine. You know, So centralized exchanges getting hacked, like the blockchain solves that. And we can, that's why we're creating the Cosmos DEX, the Cosmos Distributed Exchange, to connect to the Cosmos Hub so that we don't have this problem anymore. And I think, you know, by us focusing on this particular problem of like token security and token interoperability, we can help promote the greater Internet of Blockchains uh, to develop. So, so tell us how the consensus in the uh, Cosmos Hub would work. Under in the very bottommost layer, it's uh, Tendermint BFT. So it's a Byzantine fault tolerant consensus algorithm. There, there are going to be uh, in the beginning a hundred validators, and this number one hundred uh, will grow exponentially over time. Uh, we've set it to grow to three hundred in ten years. But uh, these one hundred validators, uh, who are determined by, uh, we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, they are signing. They sign uh, uh, messages. They sign votes with each other uh, to come to consensus about the what what the next block will be. So uh, it's a round-based protocol. Uh, most uh, Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithms that are not based on proof of stake kind of follow this uh, this paradigm. Um, and it's not really something that we've created out of thin air. It's based on uh, existing research that had been going on even before Bitcoin uh, in, in the academic world for a while. So there's this algorithm called PBFT that came out in 1999 based on you know uh, uh, quorums of uh, assigners to come to consensus. We've kind of taken a similar approach. Uh, uh, it was based on a different consensus algorithm that we've iterated upon, but we've arrived at something quite similar to PBFT, uh, but more, uh, much more suited for the blockchain world. Um, and uh, that's the underlying consensus algorithm. The, the, 
The reason why we chose, we've designed Tendermint BFT to be this way is because it provides some fantastic properties. Like one, um, bot commits are final and they're very fast. So like we can have uh, transaction finality on the order of like three to five seconds and you don't have to wait for any more blocks to get confirmed. It's just every block is final. Um, number two, uh, when it comes to proof of stake algorithms, uh, unlike proof of work, like, you know, you, you've got to think about like, what's really at stake here. Uh, why aren't signers signing, you know, many blocks uh, uh, to, to try to, I don't know, make the most money? Like, how is it secure unless there's something actually being burned as there is in Bitcoin? Well, uh, the Tendermint white paper uh, solved this uh, a while ago, and it starts with the property of our BFT algorithm that makes it accountable. So when there is a double spend attack, you can figure out who's responsible, who caused it, and the number uh, uh, of, of those who caused the attack is necessarily significant. So, you know, it's robust, and if there is a double spend attack, you can figure out who it is and you can punish them. Right? So, and it's fast. So that's why we're using Tendermint at the, at the, at the uh, consensus layer. On top of Tendermint, we've designed a, a, a delegated proof of stake system. So, you know, because there's only going to be a limited number of validators, um, if you have staking tokens and you don't have enough to become a validator, you can delegate your stake to any number of these validators of your choice um, and, and thereby participate uh, in, in figuring out, you know, uh, who the validators are. Uh, so you can, you can you have a vote in what policies they choose to adopt, right? Um, unlike other delegated proof-of-stake systems, like the BitShares delegated proof-of-stake, um, are, are, are uh, the delegators in Cosmos uh, are actually putting their tokens at stake. So this they have uh, skin in the game. So it's a different kind of delegated proof of stake. Maybe we should be calling it something else, like nominated proof of stake, I think is what Polkadot calls their system. I don't know. But uh, I think I like delegated proof of stake. It seems to um, encapsulate the concept quite well. So in, in essence, uh, do you have a cryptocurrency at the, at the hub level? Yeah, so yeah, I mentioned the, the staking token. Um, so the Cosmos Hub is a multi-asset system. Um, any number, you know, it's a permissionless system. Anyone can come in and declare, you know, that this is my token. Um, and, and we want to support that. That's what it's, a, that's what it's about. But uh, there's one special token called the Atom, and mm -hmm. it is a staking token. It's not meant to be like a medium of exchange, like Bitcoin. It's not meant to be gas, although initially it will be used as gas, like Ether. Uh, but it's more conceptually close to like virtualized Bitcoin miners. And so the Bitcoin miners are the ones who are securing the Bitcoin network. Um, and similarly, the atom holders uh, in the Cosmos network are the ones who are uh, determining uh, consensus. So. If you have Atom tokens, um, then you can participate in consensus, um, but you can also participate in governance. So you can make decisions about the future roadmap of you know, the Cosmos system um, and, uh, and, and pass proposals to, to, to change the constitution or the purpose of this network or how it functions. Um, 
And uh, you can even vote to you know, inflate uh, the atom supply, reward it to somebody to develop a certain thing. Um, you know, so you can do all kinds of things. When people use the Cosmos Hub and any of its affiliated blockchains, um, you know, we have to charge a transaction fee uh, to prevent like, spam. Um, and you know, uh, the transaction fees will be divided among the Atom stakers. So um, the Atom holders are earning transaction fees by, by running validators and delegating, you know, and also participating in governance. Okay, I, mean, I think we'll... I think we'll come back to the uh, to the atom token at the end because um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of questions there. So on the setup of the network, so initially you're going to have you're going to have a fundraiser. The company behind the Cosmos Network is Tendermint, or is it a new company? Yeah. Um, so Tendermint uh, is uh, a separate company called Alden Bits. Uh, it's a Delaware C corp, um, and that's a software company. Uh, well, we're creating, we're creating a new independent entity called the Interchain Foundation for, the, for managing you know, uh, the Cosmos network. So it's a Swiss entity. Okay. It's a foundation. Uh, it's not a for-profit. And uh, it will be contracting all in bits and other companies to develop uh, the system, uh, the Cosmos network. Okay. So th that, that's a lot clearer then. So... The the will the foundation will be deploying these hubs, uh, sort of basically cre sort of creating the network, correct? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it will be conducting the fundraiser to raise funds for the development of uh, the Cosmos Hub, the Dex, um, and the the bridge peg zones. You know all the software, um, and it will also coordinate the launch of uh, the Genesis uh, for the Cosmos Hub. Um, but of course, this being a blockchain, like the the, uh, the stakers, uh, the atom holders can really decide to do whatever they want. You know, it's a, it's, it's so it's not like the blockchain is being operated by the Interchain Foundation. Certainly not by all in bits. It's the uh, the atom holders who are coordinating the blockchain. So the atom holders uh, are running nodes that are essentially hubs. So that's how you get the distributed distributed nature is. Uh, as a as an atom holder and a validator, or who chooses to validate transactions, uh, I I have to instantiate and, and make a hub node available to the network. Is is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, after uh, the fundraiser, uh, we're going to decide uh, on the atom distribution, and. Before uh, the, the hub actually launches, we're going to have a process called the delegation game where everybody figures out who they want to delegate to um, and the top 100 uh, validators, uh, including the delegated stake, will become the, uh, the, 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 the Genesis validators for the Cosmos hub. I guess what, what, I, what I'm getting to out here is that the foundation will decide through the governance model, uh, and we can talk more about the governance model later, who the validators will be. So it, it, it's not like Bitcoin when anybody just can come in and say, okay, I, I want to invest as a miner. I can, I can connect to the network and start mining. Mm -hmm. the, the validators will be known and identified um, authorities chosen by the foundation. 
No, right. um, no, the foundation does not choose the validators. Um, the the it's the atom holders um, who choose delegate to determine who the validators are. The foundation has no say on who the validators are. And also going forward, the validator set um, of the Cosmos Hub can change. Uh, you know, for example, if you want, if a major stakeholder decides to, you know, like delegate their stake to uh, uh, some other validator, then you know the original validator might drop off. So the state will change. It's dynamic, and that is not done through governance. It's not done through governance on the chain. It's just an automated process uh, that handles these. Uh, this uh, bonding and unbonding. I get the feeling maybe maybe it's nice to think of uh, like Bitcoin mining and then cloud mining. So so you have like I guess like Bitcoin miners that that buy specialized equipment have uh, have access to the right electricity etc. And then uh, I could also have cloud mining where I say I'm I'm just going to ship some money to a miner who actually builds the equipment, but when the miner earns money, he's going to give me a return, right? So this this sort of, to me, it seems like what the Atom token allows people is to become sort of a, sort of a miner in the Cosmos network. So they can basically commit blocks. So either when I have a lot of Atom tokens, I could become a validator myself and start committing blocks and earning transaction fees. Mm -hmm. But say Sebastian, so I might be somebody who has Atom tokens and I'm committing blocks and I'm earning fees. But uh, Sebastian is another Atom holder. He doesn't want to take the let's say, responsibility of committing blocks. Then he could just delegate his uh, Atom tokens to my power and I can use that to validate on his behalf and then give him some returns off band. Right? Yeah. It's just like, it's like the... Cloud mining, this delegation is like the cloud mining of the of the Cosmos network. I don't really like um, cloud miners in general. It's like, you know, the cloud miners still own all the hardware and, and they can they can basically like, you know, not honor their contract. Um, maybe it's more like a pool or a mining pool where you hold the miners as a delegator. So you, it's your mining uh, hardware, but you can choose to um, connect it to a pool operator. And so it's as if um, the validators are like pool operators and um, the atom stakeholders uh, have their own atoms. It should be theirs. And, uh, and they can delegate their uh, voting power to whoever they want. Okay. And so you mentioned that in the beginning, there would be about 100 validators. Is this something that would stay consistent? Uh, do you feel that at some point there would need to be more validators for some reason? Um, and, uh, and, 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 and can, can the, BBF, the PBFT proof of stake uh, algorithm scale to more than uh, 100 validators? Yeah, that's a good, good question. So um, uh, to start off with, Tendermint BFT uh, can scale to much more than 100 validators. It can, it can scale to thousands even today. It, the, only, uh, the reason why you don't want 1,000 like, validators in a BFT consensus system is because with more validators, more signers, uh, the system becomes slower. Um, especially if you want to keep it accountable, it necessarily gets slower no matter what BFT algorithm you use. 
if you if you're okay with like 10 minute block times then you can have thousands of validators or if you wait a while uh, in the future if we assuming we have say exponentially more parallel compute power or exponentially uh, faster internet uh, speeds then we can also support uh, more uh, validators as well so like in a hundred years i don't know how many validators it would be there might be hundreds of thousands or more but um but today, you know, uh, if we want to target uh, like three to five second block times, so being able to commit a transaction to finality uh, within like five seconds, and we're targeting three seconds, but you know, five to be safe, um, then we need to limit the number of validators uh, because that's you know based on uh, the speed uh, and the compute uh, speeds available today. Uh, but you can imagine that there might be like a sister hub connected to the Cosmos hub that has that decides to say, you know, we don't like 100 validators. We're going to have 10,000 validators and, and have the blocks be slow. That's fine. But uh, I think it's OK. I think practically having 100 validators uh, starting with 100 is fine because um, if you compare it to the situation with like Bitcoin, I, I think Bitcoin is very secure. Um, you know, it's it's got maybe like ten major mining pools, uh, but the power is not uh, centralized to any single pool. And when it starts centralizing, uh, I've seen the miners uh, move away from the powerful pools and putting their mining power in other ones to keep it decentralized. Uh, the same kind of dynamics should play out, I think, in the Cosmos system. That's what it's designed for. Um, so there's that. Uh, and also, uh, even in the Cosmos uh, white paper, uh, we've decided to start with 100, but over 10 years, we're going to increase this number to 300. And then after that, we'll see if we need to grow it any further. Today's magic word is Atom, A-T-O-M. Head over to letstockbitcoin.com to sign in, enter the magic word, and claim your part of the listener reward. So uh, let's let's now talk about like the one of the big one of the big inventions that uh, Cosmos is trying to bring, which is the notion of inter-blockchain communication. Right? So explain to us what inter-blockchain communication is and and how it works. Inter-blockchain communication um, is a it's it's a term that uh, has general meaning. So I'm sure no matter how I define it, its meaning will change. But uh, for Cosmos, what it means is the ability to send packets, packets of data from one chain to another chain and also the other way around. So it's very similar to uh, TCP IP or UDP. Um, we have a, in our white paper specification for uh, a packet transfers that kind of um, that encapsulates both use cases. So. Uh, if you want to send off a data packet uh, and uh, optimistically, that's fine. If you want to get acknowledgement, then um, it's similar to TCPIP. Okay, so how does this work? The way that blockchains will be used in the future. Um, today, if you want to send a Bitcoin payment uh, using your mobile phone, for example, um, that transaction, um, you're not going to wait for that transaction in Bitcoin because you would have to wait six hours, right? Uh, so what most people do is they they trust 
a, a server or maybe a federation of servers, but usually a server uh, to accurately report the state of that transaction. Um, uh, but you're not taking advantage of the security of proof of stake, uh, sorry, proof of work, um, not come up to consensus from your phone uh, to you know, uh, validate a transaction that you just committed if you don't want to wait a whole hour for it. Right? Mm -hmm. but, um, but with Tendermint BFT, that confirmation, that proof of commit can, be, can come to you very fast. So in the case of the Cosmos Hub, instead of 10 to an hour, uh, it only takes five seconds. And that proof is short. So it's not, you don't need a whole chain of hashes. You just need um, essentially uh, more than two thirds of the signatures of the validators. Right? So now, uh, well, in the future, my phone will be able to make a transaction get a short data packet that proves that this blockchain's you know, latest block hash is XYZ and the proof is a bunch of signatures, right? So that light client SPV um, is the essence of Cosmos IBC. So for a blockchain to send a packet to another blockchain, um, each blockchain is a light client of the other. So in essence, this blockchain is keeping track of the validator set and the latest block cache of this one. And every time uh, you want to update that, so every time you want this blockchain to know about a more recent block uh, hash committed by this blockchain, um, you need to commit the light client SPV packet into this blockchain as a transaction. So that's how you, uh, two blockchains can keep up to tabs with each other's latest consensus. Um, and then from that, it's just don't throw away to, to proving uh, that uh, the existence of packets. So, you know, uh, Ethereum uh, has this notion of a Patricia tree that lets you, like, prove that some key value pair in the Ethereum blockchain is whatever. You can, you can you know, provide a Merkle proof that goes all the way up to the block hash. Uh, and so if you have the block cache and you have the commit and you have the Merkle proof for the data packet you want to prove, that's all you need. Uh, same thing with Cosmos. Uh, we have, uh, we have our, own, uh, our own implementation of a, of a uh, balancing Merkle tree uh, based on uh, an AVL tree. It's got a very short uh, Merkle proof because it's a binary tree. Um, and that's it. So the first step is the destination chain uh, learns about the latest block hash of the receiver chain, of the sender chain. Um, and, you know, so that's the block hash with the proof, which is the signatures. And the second step is posting a packet with the Merkle proof, uh, which goes all the way up to the block hash. And so that's how you send a packet from one chain to another. Let's take a short break to talk about JAX. JAX is a multi-coin wallet created by the people at Decentral. Now in the past, if you had a whole bunch of cryptocurrencies, it was a pain to handle them. You either had to leave them on an exchange, which was insecure, or you had to have all these different wallets, which was a hassle. Fortunately, now with JAX, those medieval days of darkness, misery, and suffering are over. JAX supports multiple cryptocurrencies and new ones are being added. But it's not just storing cryptocurrencies you can do with JAX, but you can also exchange them directly from within inside the wallet thanks to their Shapeshift integration. And since there's only one seed, 
Jax makes it super easy to back up and sync to your other devices. Jax works with Windows, macOS, Linux, Android, iOS, and has browser extensions for Firefox and Chrome. So go to jax.io, that's J-A-X-X.io, to download the wallet and get started today. We'd like to thank Jax for their support of Epicenter. So in, in essence, what we are trying to do here is, um, so imagine me as like a group of validators running one chain, like which is one of the spokes. Imagine J as uh, a group of validators uh, that basically own the cost, uh, the Atom tokens and are running the hub and Sebastian as a group of validators that is running another chain, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in my chain, we are uh, maintaining the balances of say asset one, right? Like for for maybe 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 lack of a better word, let's call them Apple shares. We are, we are tracking the balances of Apple shares, and Sebastian is tracking the balances of uh, Microsoft shares, right? And what in essence we are trying to do is. Um, we are trying to move Apple shares from my chain to Sebastian's chain. <laughs> That's assuming that the, both chains, both zones um, can actually like is a multi-asset system. But even if it's not, uh, uh, maybe the first example is uh, um, uh, moving those tokens into the Cosmos hub. So you can have an account in the Cosmos hub um, and you can have an account on the Cosmos hub. And, and then you can do a, a swap transaction on the Cosmos Hub. And so now you have ownership uh, of, of the other system. Uh, of course, we can, there's also the distributed exchange connected to it. We can use that, but you don't necessarily need that in order to have this uh, swap happen. Um, okay, so what's going to happen is, uh, first, uh, Mir, on your chain, you're going to uh, commit a in your application state like basically in the patricia tree a, uh, a a packet saying here's a coin packet and i'm going to move 100 apple shares to the cosmos hub to this address mm -hmm. uh, that packet is going to be stored in the patricia tree of your blockchain in a special place uh, in a special path uh, uh, that is reserved for outbound packet transactions uh, outbound packets so once you've committed that packet into your state, um, the, the, the Merkle root of that state will be applied to the block hash. And then uh, that block hash uh, eventually is going to get committed by the validators, right? So, okay, just to recap what happened is first you committed a packet into your state uh, and that got that affected the block hash of your blockchain, and then the validators of your blockchain committed it with signatures. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to Cosmos Hub, um, uh, this information gets committed as transactions to the Cosmos Hub in reverse. First, the Cosmos Hub is going to learn about the latest block hash of your chain, and it's going to learn about that because. Uh, uh, as soon as you post the latest block hash along with the commit, which is the signatures. Now the Cosmos Hub is convinced that this block hash XYZ was committed in your chain. And then the second thing that is going to get posted to Cosmos Hub is the packet data. So that is the, uh, the outbound packet to the Cosmos Hub along with the Merkle root to the aforementioned block hash. So these are two separate transactions uh, that get committed to the Cosmos Hub. 
And now the Cosmos Hub says, okay, I've received a, I've received 100 Apple uh, shares from MirrorChain. Okay, so so the essence of the problem here is that the uh, that the Cosmos Hub wants to uh, do further transactions on these Apple shares, right? So uh, when when we are moving Apple shares from my blockchain or our blockchain to to the Cosmos Hub, the Cosmos Hub sort of needs assurance that once this transfer is done, I am not going to change some of the old accounts. Right, like so, so, so maybe when I made the transfer, I needed to subtract, let's say, hundred Apple shares from somebody's account and then transfer it to Cosmos Hub. Now the Cosmos Hub needs assurance that once Cosmos Hub like gets the hundred Apple shares, I'm not going to go go back and mess with the old accounts in a way that I end up giving the Apple shares back to the holder uh, on my chain. Right, so. How is Cosmos Hub being assured that I'm not going to fudge with my accounting once once I have transferred to your chain? Yeah, that's a great question. So the Apple shares that the Cosmos Hub received in this example, um, the Apple shares, the only reason why um, your chain was able to do that, well, there's two cases. So let, uh, the first case, I think, is a simple one. We're assuming that your chain issued these Apple shares. So the home of these shares is your chain, right? And uh, if it's the case that your chain um, is double spending these Apple shares and you know saying uh, it's going to go to the Cosmos hub, but then double spending it and giving it to some other blockchain or some other hub, like people should, you know, that's a failure of the issuing chain and that's just a fundamental problem. So I think we should assume, we can assume that that won't happen. If it does happen, it can happen. It just means that the underlying shares are worthless anyways, so. What happens when my chain is, is attacked in a way that the double spend becomes possible? Okay, sure. Uh, so the first case uh, I was just talking about was a case where your chain is the issuing chain. Um, if the issuing chain fails, then um, that's a problem that the issuing, ch issuing chain needs to address. Um, Let's say that you're not the issuing chain. And so actually the Apple shares were issued by an Apple chain, right? And the Apple chain uh, would first uh, transfer those Apple shares to the Cosmos hub. And then uh, through the Cosmos hub, your chain can receive these Apple shares. So let's say that there are a million Apple shares, but your chain received a hundred through the Cosmos hub. Uh, later, you can choose to send those 100 shares back and if that happens, then your total Apple shares drops to zero. Uh, you can't send 200 shares to the uh, Cosmos Hub because you don't have 200. You can only send 100, which is the amount you have, um, because the Cosmos Hub makes sure that you know uh, zones or sidechains can only uh, transfer as much as they have, unless you're an issuer. So the Cosmos Hub then has accounts with all of the zones. Like the Cosmos Hub is... Is, is operating clients for every zone so that they can, in fact, receive uh, the funds. Uh, they're, they're actually receiving funds on, on addresses of each network. I'm not sure what you mean by running clients. It's being well, a light the, the, client. Okay, so uh, there's a light client. Uh, on, so, the, so let's say that you have a, 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 a hub, and this hub is creating, is enabling interoperability with five blockchains, that hub is 
is running five light clients for those five blockchains. Yeah, for each of those yeah. blockchains, right? Uh huh. It okay. is. Yeah, that's that's and that is basically the core logic of this blockchain. It is only there to act as a light client and keep track of the total number of coins on every single chain, uh, and whether uh, this chain is an issuer of this token or not, and how many tokens that the, uh, each zone has. Um, so going back to your example with like Meher chain breaking, um, you know, because you can only send uh, as many coins as you have uh, when you're not the issuing chain. Um, you know, it's possible that there's some failure of consensus or something and, and you sh those 100 Apple shares gets sent to somebody else and you know, maybe something else happens. But at least when it comes to the Apple shares issued by the Apple chain and, you know, brought onto the uh, Cosmos system, uh, the failure will be isolated because no chain can spend more than they have. So I had a question regarding privacy. Uh... This is, this is a topic that comes up a lot in Europe uh, because uh, the you know, Europeans and sort of European regulation tends to favor privacy, I think, probably a lot more uh, than sort of U.S. regulation. And so it's, it's, a, it's an issue that comes up a lot here with sort of enterprise clients, you know, when, when, when talking about blockchains uh, is user privacy. And, uh, and recently we've seen uh, uh, things like Zcash uh, become prominent and, and a lot of a lot of people are talking about um, zero knowledge proofs as a way to preserve privacy. In fact, um, uh, there's an organization here in France called called ACNIL, and they're sort of the regulatory body that makes recommendations on how companies should handle their, you know, best practices for for, for user privacy. And they've awarded some some prizes to researchers uh, researching zero knowledge proofs. So, you know, just as a side note, I think that there's there's uh, there's a lot of promise in those types of technologies for preserving user privacy. Now, when it comes to Cosmos, um, how does and is this so? How how would Cosmos then handle, say, a Zcash zero knowledge proofs type chain um, interacting with a non sort of like you know a standard you know non transparent or non uh, privacy preserving blockchain? Let's say. Bitcoin and Zcash were interacting, and you know you're selling, you're transferring some Zcash uh, to a Bitcoin account. Um, how how would privacy be preserved there, if if possible? Yeah. Um, so as it is today, like the only okay without Cosmos, um, and let's assume that there's like Zcash. Uh, there's also Monero, uh, which is based on the crypto node engine, and it's completely different. Doesn't use zero knowledge proofs, but um, uh, is another way to preserve privacy. Um, and, and there's like Bitcoin, Ethereum. The problem is all these tokens are separate. So if you want to take advantage of the pr privacy preserving features of Zcash or Monero, you have to first acquire these coins, right, um, to, to use them. Uh, the benefit of Cosmos is that you don't necessarily have to uh, exchange tokens anymore. Um, let's say that in the Cosmos uh, ecosystem, um, there's one particular token that gains a lot of traction. People are using it, um, and uh, maybe this is the pegged uh, Bitcoin token, or maybe it's the pegged Ether token, or maybe it's another new token that was born inside the Cosmos system. doesn't matter. Um, at some point, people might say, 
like we like this, you know, but we also want the ability to uh, uh, plug in like a Zcash zone so that you can send your your tokens uh, into the zone and take advantage of the logic of the Zcash zone. So now that's possible because you can plug in any blockchain into the system. Uh, the question, so, you know, whether it be uh, a crypto node, Monero or Zcash uh, or any other system, uh, as long as that uh, source code is like open source, uh, we can plug it in, uh, you know, uh, power the consensus by Tendermint and just plug it right into the Cosmos Hub. The question, so now then, yeah, then you can use the same token uh, with different logic. So this is an interoperability of logic across uh, different chains using the same token. Um, the question is, who is running, which validators are going to be running like this new chain, right? So that's a question uh, that's going to be uh, fleshed out in the future. Uh, in the beginning, the Cosmos Hub validators, so the Atom, uh, Atom token holders, uh, will be running uh, the initial blockchains, right? So the Cosmos Hub, the distributed exchange and any chain that requires like the maximum global security will be run by the atom validators but anyone can really uh, create their own validator side and choose to connect uh, to the cosmos hub so uh, it could be that the cosmos atom token holders are running a zcash zone for a particular token maybe that zcash zone is made generic so it can work with any token uh, or maybe some other uh, 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 staking distribution comes around and plugs into the Cosmos system and offers, you know, Zcash as a service. It could be anything. So, so Jay, we've, we've walked through how the Cosmos hub works, its consensus, its its native token, and how inter-blockchain communication would look like roughly. Um, I think uh, there's one final question before we will wrap up and talk about the crowd sale. And that, that question is um, that suppose I, I'm running a blockchain, right? I'm, I'm an enterprise, I'm a group of enterprises, or I'm a group of enthusiasts or gaming enthusiasts that are running a blockchain together. And we want to join the uh, Cosmos hub in, let's say, in, in five or six months. So, uh, what would the technical requirements from our side be? Do we need to ch change our consensus algorithm, or uh, what? 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 What do we need to comply with in order to become part of the Cosmos network? What do we gain, and what do we lose when we do that? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, so, if you look at the example with uh, Ethereum. Uh, because Ethereum is not using Tendermint BFT, uh, we need to have a bridge uh, zone uh, or a peg zone that sits in between. And, and the peg zone will be running Tendermint, but all the validators on that bridge zone would also be running like an Ethereum uh, client, an Ethereum node. So uh, it, that's how it uh, functions as an adapter. Um, but uh, when it comes to new blockchains created for uh, whether it be a private chain or a, a consortium chain or even a public one, uh, if they're using Tendermint uh, directly, so if it's uh, running, if the consensus algorithm is Tendermint, that will probably be the easiest way to plug into the Cosmos system. Um, so uh, Tendermint, you know, we've made it pretty easy uh, with the ABCI um, protocol, which is um, 
the, the interface between Tendermint and your application. It's a network socket protocol. Uh, we've made it easy to plug in Tendermint into any existing stack. So if you already have uh, logic written out for your blockchain, uh, uh, it should be easy to plug in Tendermint. Um, but uh, if that's not the case and you're building a system from scratch, then uh, check out uh, uh, Basecoin. So it's a framework that we're developing for creating uh, cryptocurrency applications uh, uh, powered by Tendermint. Uh, it's written in Golang for now, um, and uh, it's got this plugin architecture that is very similar to Ch uh, Hyperledger's Chaincode. So uh, Chaincode uh, is uh, the system where you can uh, you're basically given like an underlying key value store um, and you just have to write the logic to read from the store and write to the store uh, given a transaction. So it's a very simple interface. Uh, Basecoin supports that. In fact, the, uh, we just created uh, uh, an IBC demo uh, written as a plugin on Basecoin. So check it out, um, github.com slash tendermint slash Basecoin. And so we'll make sure that when you develop your uh, cryptocurrency or application on Basecoin, uh, it will be uh, natively pluggable into the Cosmos system. So if I understand correctly, then within, within Cosmos, there are some sort of preferred stacks that are natively compatible and others that would require some sort of connector uh, such, you know, for instance, Bitcoin, uh, I think you mentioned Ethereum as well. Uh, Within the you know the broader scale of things, uh, do do users need to have some sort of trust in these connecting nodes? So let's say if we have uh, you know a native token uh, interacting through a hub with Bitcoin, and and that's going through uh, one of these connectors. Um, what what is the what what is the trust that I need to put into that connector? Uh, do, do I need to trust it? Is it fully trustless, or is there like a level of trust I need to have there? Yeah, uh, great question. So that depends on uh, each uh, connector. So uh, with Ethereum, uh, because the Ethereum smart contracting system is so flexible, we can have uh, the smart contract on Ethereum track the full tenement. Uh, validator set. So all 100, 300 validators can be tracked and updated uh, fairly easily on Ethereum. And, uh, but with Bitcoin, uh, there's a complication for two reasons. One is that um, uh, it only supports like up to 15 signers per uh, Bitcoin UTXO. And also the UTXO system itself makes it difficult to uh, to, to update the validator set for all, you know, uh, Bitcoin UTXOs that are, uh, that have gone, uh, that have spent a cent of money to this, you know, this peg to Cosmos. Um, because, the, you know, uh, whenever the, the Cosmos validator set or the peg, the bridge zone validator sets change, whenever those signers change, we, we kind of need to uh, migrate all of those UTXOs to, uh, to the new signing set. And imagine having like, you know, 10,000 UTXOs all sending money into this uh, bridge uh, and, and the signers changes, we're going to have to migrate all of them. So there's complications and, there and solutions to them uh, that maybe we don't have time to get into. Um, uh, so it depends. The short answer is it depends on, uh, on, on the capabilities of the respective blockchains. 
Um, and uh, when your blockchain has, uh, I can say this, when your blockchain has uh, a flexible system uh, that can keep track of the Cosmos Hub's validator set. Maybe it has a virtual machine or it has a very flexible multi-sig system that allows for arbitrary voting power among the signers. Then it's pretty easy to um, have um, an adapter uh, that um, uh, reflects the whole validator set. And, you know, if, if, uh, if, if, uh, if the Cosmos atom holders want they can choose to, through governance, choose to uh, run the adapter themselves. So we're going to do this for Ethereum uh, because Ethereum is a strong you know, uh, a partner blockchain to connect to. Uh, but when another blockchain comes around and, and, uh, and people want a, a Cosmos uh, uh, Atom uh, um, stakeholders to run the adapter zone, we can do that as long as it is accepted by, by governance. Um, but when it comes to other chains, um, you know, Cosmos Hub being a permissionless system, anyone can create their own staking token set and try to offer a service as well. But it's going to be up to uh, the users to decide whether they trust that uh, set or not. So we've talked about uh, uh, Atom and uh, Atom being the native currency uh, that will allow this, this network to run. Um, and for economic incentives to be aligned between uh, validators and, and users. So tell us then uh, about this, uh, this fundraiser that will be uh, launching soon. Sure. Um, the fundraiser um, is to collect funds it's for the development of uh, the software uh, necessary for the uh, initial Cosmos ecosystem. So this, the funds collected by, during the fundraiser will be used to develop the Cosmos Hub, uh, the Cosmos Distributed Exchange, uh, the, the adapter zones, and so on. Now, we've got a lot of the software already created. Um, so uh, I've been working on uh, uh, Tendermint. Uh, Ethan Buckman and I have been, and our team at All in Bits, our Delaware C Corp, has been uh, developing Tendermint. And uh, we've made a lot of progress in the past two years. We've also demonstrated um, uh, a, a proof of concept of IBC uh, with a plugin that we developed on top of the Basecoin framework. Uh, but there's still a lot of software left to develop, and so that's what the fundraiser is for. Um, the contributors to the fundraiser will be receiving uh, Atom staking tokens, and uh, after the fundraiser is over, um, around uh, 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 Q3, uh, we will launch the Cosmos Hub um, with uh, uh, the 100 validators, and we'll be rolling out additional blockchains um, uh, as, as, as we develop them. Do you have like a certain minimum quantity that you want to raise or different plans depending on how much you'll raise? Yes, we will have. Um, so the milestone um, uh, a roadmap is uh, uh, supposed to be released a while ago, but we're still uh, finalizing them. And so we will release them as soon as possible when, when we have uh, finalized the plans. I've got a whiteboard full of um, the details uh, that need to be uh, you know, uh, uh, written out into a document. So we will be releasing those as soon as possible. So yes, uh, for the fundraiser, there will be milestones. And so depending on how much we raise, we will be doing uh, more uh, work. Uh, and there will be a cap as well. 
So when does the fundraiser start? So the date was initially set for uh, <laughs> for a while. It's been delayed. Um, and well, we're very close now. Um, we know all the steps uh, that need to be taking taken in order to, to ensure the safety of our fundraiser. But we're not sure that um, all the like uh, the auditing, security auditing, and uh, even uh, some of our ongoing partnership um, uh, negotiations will be ready in time. So we're going to delay the fundraiser. Uh, uh, it will happen no sooner than February 28th, but it will probably happen later. Um, what I can say is that um, if you are interested, then come to our Slack channel um, at least once a week, um, and uh, we will be announcing the final fundraiser date uh, at least uh, two weeks in advance. So we will we'll have to see how everything settles before uh, we are certain that it will be a safe uh, fundraiser. And that's very important. Yeah, have, let's have a safe fundraiser and uh, avoid any type of... Uh, catastrophes like we've seen <laughs> already in the space uh well jay listen we're uh thank you so much for coming on we're running very late i mean i think we could have kept going for another hour but um uh, for the sake of uh keeping this as concise as possible for our listeners we'll end here uh we'll definitely uh i think most likely have you on again uh in the in the future uh maybe we can come back and revisit this in six to twelve months you know once the network is up and running and and we have some real uh, you know, feedback on, on how things are going. And, you know, once we've learned about, uh, you know, how an inter blockchain network actually, you know, actually operates and, and, uh, and what types of things are being built there. So it'll be fascinating to see how this progresses, see how Cosmos, uh, how the deployment goes, and, uh, we'll be happy to have you on again in the future. Yeah, it's been a pleasure and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Thank you. And thank you for our listeners for tuning in. Uh, Epicenter is part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin Network. We release new episodes every Monday and you can find lots of great shows about Bitcoin, blockchains, cryptocurrencies, decentralized apps and technologies over at letstalkbitcoin.com. Uh, if you like, you can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash epicenterbtc and do follow us on uh, YouTube as well. You can subscribe to the show there. You can also subscribe to the show uh, for the audio version on SoundCloud, uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. So thanks so much for tuning in and we look forward to being back next week.